0: on one of the bookshelves in my office is a book written by two of my theological heroes, Tony Campolo and Brian McLaren, and it's entitled Adventures in Missing the Point. It's a point counterpoint book about all the ways that the church has missed out on what Jesus was actually inviting us to experience whether it is arguments over sexuality or the worship wars or guerrilla evangelism, McLaren and Campolo are sure that all of us on some level or another have totally missed the point, but this puts us in good company. In fact, we're in some of the greatest company that ever was. You may have noticed over the past several weeks, that our gospel lessons have been hitting the theme of disciples who miss the point again and again and again. The entire ninth chapter of Mark's gospel is one story of apostolic tomfoolery after another. It opens with Jesus taking Peter, James and John up the mountain to pray. And while they're up there, Jesus is transfigured and turned gloriously white. And Moses and Elijah join, them, join him. And Peter is terrified and confused and totally misses the point when he says, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let me build a house for the three of y'all. The four of them come back the mount, down the mountain and they rejoin the other eight who are engaged in a commotion. The scribes and the eight disciples that were left behind are arguing with one another because it seems that a man had a son and that son had an evil demon possessing him who had tormented him for years. The man brought his son to the disciples in the hope that they might exercise that demon, but they had failed. The scribes had seen their failure and seized on it, began to argue with them and question their authority And the disciples quickly became embarrassed they lost their religion and started to argue back eventually jesus was able to cast out that demon and the disciples asked him why he could do it and they couldn't and he said to them because you had to pray that one had to sting From there, they traveled through Galilee to Capernaum, and our lesson from last Sunday told the story of what happened along that journey. For the second time, Jesus told his disciples that he was going to be handed over and killed and resurrected on the third day. But the disciples were confused, scared. So they didn't ask Jesus what he meant by it, Instead, they started to argue with one another about which one of them was the greatest. When Jesus called them out on it, they were ashamed and said nothing. Whoever wants to be first of all must be last of all and servant of all, Jesus told them. And then he invited a young child to join them. He said, whoever welcomes one such child welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Our lesson today begins immediately after those words. And this time it isn't poor impetuous Peter who gets to sound stupid. John gets the honor this time of missing the point and asking the dumb question. Okay, Jesus, but how far does this hospitality thing really go? The other day, we saw this guy, and he was casting out demons in your name. He wasn't one of us. He didn't follow us. He didn't pay his dues. And so we told him to stop. That was kosher, right? At the entrance to the Oklahoma City National Memorial statue of Jesus, it was given by the members of St. Joseph's Roman Catholic Church, Their fellowship hall was destroyed in the blast at the Murrah federal building. The statue is called and Jesus wept. It features a larger than life Jesus standing with his left hand beating his breast and his right hand over his face sobbing. It's a beautiful testimony of the presence of Christ in the midst of deep darkness. But the Internet has made this statue famous for a different reason. Facepalm Jesus has become a popular meme and it's used whenever Christians fail very spectacularly at missing the point. When Pat Robertson says that Hurricane Katrina was God's punishment for same-sex marriage, facepalm Jesus. When Roman Catholic bishops threaten to keep communion from politicians, facepalm Jesus. Whenever an Episcopalian makes the when two or three are gathered, there's always a fifth joke, facepalm Jesus. When John says he wasn't one of us, so we told him to stop, facepalm Jesus. Maybe in that one, Jesus starts to rub his temples very slowly. Jesus responds by turning John's entire premise on its ear. Whoever is not against us, Jesus says. And it's worth noting that at this point in Jesus's ministry, there were a lot of people who were against them. Whoever is not against us is for us. And then he turns their attention back to the child, the one who's still sitting on Jesus's lap, the one from last week that we almost forgot about in the lectionary. And he tries yet again to help his disciples understand. Creating stumbling blocks is evil. If you put a stumbling block in the front of someone who is trying to have faith, You'd be better off with a 3,000-pound stone tied around your neck being thrown into the sea. Judging the faith or the intentions of others is a serious offense in Jesus' eye. It isn't for us to develop a series of tests to determine who is in and who is out. But rather, Jesus says, we should take stock of ourselves. If your hand is pointed at judgment at your neighbor, cut it off. If your foot keeps you tripping up other believers, cut it off. If your eye is only good for seeing the faults in another, pluck it out. It is better to enter the kingdom of heaven maimed or lame or looking like a pirate than to end up in hell under the pretense of perfection. The point of being a disciple of Jesus isn't to show others where they are wrong, but to find the things in our own lives that have kept us from entering fully into the joy that God has dreamt for each and every one of us. But cutting off your hand, plucking out your eye, this sounds a little intense, Jesus. Where's the good news in all of this? Well, the good news is that everyone will be salted with fire. Are you happy now? Doesn't sound much like good news, but I assure you that it is. The promise of Jesus is that for all who follow him, When we focus on our own sin, when we repent, when we seek forgiveness, the fire of the Holy Spirit will burn off all of our impurities and bring us ever closer to Christ. What is keeping you from experiencing the fullness of God's love and grace? What needs to be thrown into the unquenchable fire? For John, it was envy. For Peter, it was pride. For me, it's a list too long to name here today. What is it for you? The grace of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all of us. And each day we have the opportunity anew to focus on following Christ, to tune our ears to listen for the calling of God and to work toward the kingdom of heaven here on earth where the whole world might be at peace. That's the point of it all. And that, my dear friends, is very good news. Amen.